Would you find today, please, your Bibles, smartphones, uh, whatever you may have, and find the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 12. There's also some Bibles maybe underneath in uh, some of the racks of the chairs, but uh, if you'll find that, we will be ready to go forward. Thank you so much to our praise man. What a great uh, time of worship we've had. In fact, both services. Uh, the choir was back this morning in our early service. and it's still morning, isn't it? But the choir was singing this morning. We had great times of worship as well, which we need to be reminded from time to time. We have two different worship services, different styles of worship, but it is not the style of worship that unites us, but it is the one in whom we worship. And uh, we are thankful, and we are thankful for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. He bestowed upon us the power of Christ, which helps us to be able to live for Him. And uh, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, you'll hear more about it, I know, at the end of the service. But we, heyday at Parkway is next uh, Sunday. We want you to anticipate and be a part of that that's coming. And listen, if you're not a member of Parkway Baptist Church, you've already been welcomed. You're a guest. We're doing heyday at Parkway for you. It's for guests as well as for each one of us. We might have a great day in order to be able to know one another. Welcome members. It's a great time to invite uh, others to be able to come and be a part and of course, we'll be having great times in worship services. Everybody be wearing a name tag, so those people that you have forgotten their name, you'll be able to say, and you'll be able to see new people as well in a great time of fellowship afterwards. And you'll hear more about that, or it's in your bulletin, but you want to be prepared for that. Today, as we come, we're uh, continuing in our series of messages as we've been looking at 2 Kings, talking about Elijah and Elisha and what God can do. So today, we are in. 2 Kings chapter 12. Matter of fact, we're going to look at the first just before that. Last verse in chapter 11 and verse 21. And we'll read several verses here and some later. So you want to keep your Bibles open or your phone to that spot. It would be okay. Last verse in chapter 11 says this. Jehoash was seven years old when he began to reign. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash began to reign. He reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah the of Beersheba. And Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Nevertheless, the high priests were not taken away. The people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. Jehoash said to the priest, All the money of the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord, the money for which each man is assessed, the money from the assessment of persons and the money that a man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord. Let the priest take each from his donor. Let them repair the house wherever any need of repairs is discovered. But by the 23rd year of King Jehoash, the priest had made no repairs on the house. Therefore, King Jehoash summoned Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said to them, Why are you not repairing the house? Now, therefore, take no more money from your donors, but hand it over for the repair of the house. So the priest agreed that the money, they should take no more money from the people that they should not repair the house. Then Jehoiada the priest took a chest, bored a hole in the lid of it, and set it aside on the altar on the right side as one entered the house of the Lord. And the priest who guarded the threshold put in it all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. And whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's secretary and the high priest came up and they bagged and they counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they would give the money that was weighed out of the hands of the workmen who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they paid it out uh, to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord. Skip down to verse 15 where it says, And they did not ask for an accounting from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to pay out for the workmen, for they dealt honestly. 
May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. Long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I used to do children's messages during the worship service whereby children would come down and gather around and I would do a little bit of a short children's sermon for them. I did this in other churches I have pastored, more than one, usually churches that did not have children's church. But I got to tell you, when you have 10 or 12 children gathered around you at the front, it's often like a box of chocolates when you ask a question and wonder what they're going to say. A little hand goes up and you they hope that it's something about the lesson and instead they ask, why is their hair growing out of your nose or why don't your socks match? I can testify it's exactly what's been uh, asked as well. And inevitably, somebody at the end of the service will come and tell you, they say, I sure did enjoy your children's sermon much more than I liked your regular sermon today. And uh, So I had to put it to a stop finally. But I think I know why they liked it more. One, because I usually used an object lesson. It was a simple lesson and it only lasted about five minutes. Well, apparently uh, adults and kindergartners uh, have the same attention span. No offense to the kindergartners, you understand. But Jesus must have known about this. He must have known about object lessons because he used them a lot. He used them in, we call them parables today, of course, and he used object lessons. And usually they were simple lessons, yet profound, and they would seemingly only be a short lesson sometimes that he would tell, at least in the words uh, that we have as well. But when he told these object lessons, of course, they were often, or the parables, they would often be simple yet profound, and they would often reveal and sometimes even hide some of the great mysteries of God or the things that uh, only those who were in tune to God would be able to understand. Well, uh, I want to use an object lesson today. In fact, I want to use one of the object lessons that Jesus used often three times in three different Gospels. Jesus told the story of the farmer who went out to sow seed. As he came and began to sow seed, he threw some along the hard pathway. And Jesus said that uh, it'd be trampled upon and the birds would come and take it away. Some of the seed would be upon the stony ground, but it well, might come up quickly, but it wouldn't last long because there was no moisture. And then some seed fell upon the thorny ground and it would grow up with the thorns, but as it grew, it would be choked up. Still, some seed fell among the good soil and then it would begin to yield and produce 30, 60, and 100-fold. Then Jesus said, He who has an ears to hear, let him hear. Later, when the disciples were alone with Jesus, they asked him, What is the meaning of that particular parable? We're going to talk about that meaning today of that particular parable. It's a well-known parable. Most of you have probably heard it. But we're going to relate it to the stories that we're telling today in 2 Kings. Now, we're finishing up this series that we've looked at this year on Elijah and Elisha, we've been asking, answering the question, what can God do? We've talked about it every time that there's nothing that is impossible with God. We're reminded about it here on Sunday so that when we go out, we live in this world in the week and we face the things that we face. It is not something just that we talked about, but we're able to live it, able to know that it makes a difference because we know that nothing is impossible with God. And while the prophet Elisha will be an important part of our story or the stories that we tell today, we'll also be focusing on some of the kings of Israel and Judah and the lessons on growing in our faith in Jesus. Always, as we read the Old Testament, we're always reading the Old Testament in view of Jesus and the meaning of the cross and the resurrection and the difference that that makes in everything that we read. Well, between chapters 11 and 16 in 2 Kings, there are 13 kings that are mentioned that are either kings of Judah or kings of Israel. We're not going to take time to preach a sermon to study on each one, though 
We recognize that all of God's Word is important, is here for a purpose, but hopefully under the Lord's direction today, we'll be looking at some of these stories today and uh, for the purpose that He has for us. Now, some of you know and you remember that after the time of Solomon, Rehoboam became king, and under Rehoboam that the kingdom was split into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom of Israel made up of ten of the tribes, and then there was the southern kingdom made up of the tribe of Judah. Well, let me just give you a list, if I can, of the five kings of Judah, the southern kingdom and second kings, chapters 11 through 16. There are five kings that are mentioned. These are certainly not all the kings. In fact, Joash is probably the, about the eighth of the kings. Then there's Amaziah, Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz. I've, I've highlighted or voted Joash or Jehoash, who is the same person but with two different names. And sometimes in the same chapter, they'll use both names. Uh, that are there, but a vote of that, because that's what we read about here just a moment ago uh, as well. And we're going to talk about the miraculous part of his story as he became king at the age of seven. And then here are the eight kings of Israel, the northern kingdom in 2 Kings 11 through 16. And notice the first two I voted, Jehoahaz, and then there's Joash and Jehoash. Now, I don't know if you've noticed already, but the very second name of the list of those kings, if you go back, go back one slide if you don't mind, that you'll have, if you, yeah, it's the same name as the first one in this name. Now, it is uh, not the same person. And you have to really pay attention today because there's some lessons that we want to learn today and find from God's Word, but it might get a little confusing because not only two different guys, not the same person with the same name, but they reigned some of the same years. One was king of Judah and one was king of Israel. So you might have to pay attention for you just a little bit in order to be able to understand. But it reminds me, and I don't know if this will help or not, but we have among our staff and among our deacons and many members and guests lots of people named Robert, Bob, and Bobby. In fact, we're always having meetings where we have the same people with different people with the same names in the same meeting. See, I'm already confused. We have one ministry team to where we get together. There's seven of them, and four of them are either named Bob or Bobby. We always have to be thinking now, which Bob is supposed to do this, and what did that? which Bobby was it that said this? We're always asking that. So you might ask that today, but really the only thing that you'll need to remember that one was the king of Judah and one was the king of Israel. But I can't imagine, I can't imagine today that you would get together at lunch and somebody would quote King Joash and say, now which one was that? The king of Israel. I just can't imagine that that's going to happen uh, today. But for the moment, I want to draw your attention to at least three stories of the Old Testament, maybe not as well known as some of the stories, but told with the express purpose of helping you and me to comprehend what it is to have a growing relationship with Jesus and to continue to grow in Christ. That's right. Three stories for the price of one. No extra charge today for you coming to be a part. And, uh, and then on top of that, I'm going to throw you in a bonus of about Elijah's last, Elisha's last story. Now, aren't you glad that you came today? You've got some notes there. And as we talk about those, we're going to talk about four different kinds of faith and how this all lines up. Hopefully, before it's over, you'll see the four different kinds of faith. Three kings and the prophet, as well as the parable that we've talked about today, and all of those things aligning together. Here's one of the kinds of faith that we're going to learn from Joash, the king of Judah. And this is a faith that falls away. Now, just so there'll be no surprises, we're going to talk about four different kinds of faith. And three of these are not good. 
Three of these are not the kind of example that you will want to follow. One will be very good that you will want to follow along the way, but we're going to learn lessons as we go. Is there faith that is not good? Isn't all faith good? Got to have faith? No, all faith is not good. If you have faith in the wrong thing, if you have faith in the wrong person, if you have faith in the wrong religion, it is not good. It's not good for to have a faith that is not genuine or real and has no root. Much like Jesus' parables of the seed, only one produced any kind of crop. But from Joash, the king of Judah, we're going to learn a faith that can fall away. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 16, I'll put on the screen, but you might remember this, that the Lord made a promise to King David. He said, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. It would be from the kings of Judah, the southern kingdom, that the Davidic line, the family of David, would continue. And from the David's line that a Savior would be born so that the kingdom, that throne would be established forever and that could only be done through Jesus. But it almost came to an end. Well, not really because we recognize that this was in God's hand and he's going to make a promise, but it seemed like it was going to come to an end. In a very dramatic one coup after another type event falling over, Joash becomes king at the age of seven. Now, Time's not going to permit for us to be able to tell the whole story. But to give you an idea of the evil plot that was involved, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Now that ought to tell you right then that it's not going to be good. If you know anything about Ahab and Jezebel, they were the evil king and queen of Israel. But the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel comes and she becomes the queen mother uh, in Judah. And the daughter of Ahab, she... Uh, Rules for a short time. Read 2 Kings chapter 11 and verse 1. If you've got your Bibles open, also ought to be on the screen. But in 2 Kings chapter 11 verse 1, it says, Now then, Athaliah, that's the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, and she arose and destroyed all of the royal family. Now recognize, she married into that family, and she's the royal family, meaning all the she sought to destroy and to kill all the descendants of David. And she thought that they were all killed for a time. This included, if she had married into the family, this would include some of her own grandchildren uh, as well. But a priest of Judah and a wife saved the only remaining descendant of David, Joash. Would have been about one year old at this time. Hit him in the temple for seven years. And at the age of seven, they brought him out. And before the people, they anointed him king. And the people realized that this was David's descendant. And they all loved David. And they hated the queen mother. They all applauded and they yelled, long live the king. And they put the queen mother to death. Now, as you can see, this is not a Disney movie. But it is uh, probably just as enthralling and just as exciting. And, may, and it is something that happened for real, really happened. So Jehoiada the priest, we read his name when we read a moment ago. He really seems to be in charge in the early days, but with good intention. And we read earlier about how there needed to be repairs made to the temple. And many people brought money for the repairs. And when the repairs weren't being done correctly, then Joash made the what we sometimes... Uh, we'll call the chest of Joash. Now, many churches, including our own, have sometimes had a chest of Joash that they've put down and people come and put money in it for whatever project 
that there uh, may be. Lots of lessons that we could learn from this about giving, biblical giving with glad hearts, using the money with integrity and honesty. In fact, we probably ought to take just a moment and talk about the act of giving for worship. From time to time, particularly in the last couple of years, somebody will ask me, how come we don't pass the offering plate anymore like we used to? Because we used to pass the offering plate every worship service until COVID, like most churches, even when we got back together. You know, we didn't want the germs, so you didn't pass them along, put them on the tables here. Well, something happened about six months into COVID and toward the end of 2020, the beginning of 21 for us. Giving began to increase in our church, even more so than we were growing or more so than people were coming back. Giving began to increase. I think maybe the emphasis of not giving in worship somehow had a unique effect as well that uh, people then thought about giving, perhaps, uh, as well. Now, and so the giving has been good ever since. We're not superstitious, but we're not going to do anything to change the momentum that's going on with us, you understand. But I do believe this with all my heart. I believe that people know that they're giving to something that is worthwhile, that is godly, that people will want to give to a church or to the projects that we know that uh, the Lord has us to do because we are on mission and the Lord will, will continue to be a part of that. Now, whether you give, whether it's in worship service as you come, many of you give online as well, it's always an act of worship and you're encouraged to view your giving as a gift to God as well. Uh, you, you'll also find the life of Israel with they were ever they were uh, building the temple or refurbishing the temple it was often a time of spiritual renewal. And so that was happening there for a short time as well. Now, they went for 23 years and nothing had been done, and then suddenly the king says, well, we need to do things in a different way, and they began to do that, and they even did things good for a while. But uh, you'll also find here, Joash was considered one of the better kings of Judah. And there weren't that many, even though they were part of David's line. If you've read the Old Testament and read about the kings, it's evil king after evil king, and there's a good one thrown in. Joash is one of the better ones, except he didn't tear down the high places used to worship idols, and later he would bring back and even endorse the worship of idols. Now, this could be the case that this was a young king, started off well, but didn't finish well, kind of like King Solomon. But I want you to notice a couple of things. We read it a moment ago in 2 Kings chapter 12 and verse 2. Uh, we read the ESV. This is the way it says it in the New International Version. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years Jehoiada the priest instructed him. See, as long as Jehoiada the priest instructed him, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It's a different story when Jehoiada the priest dies and he's not around any longer to give instruction. At the point that they'd waited 23 years, nothing had been done. You know, he starts this... Uh, money to where they give put it in a chest, and they give it out to the workers, and they did it with honesty and integrity. But still, there wasn't a great deal of work that had been accomplished. You know, many of you know we've got a lot of projects that are going on here at our church. There's one project after another, and sometimes for somebody that sees it here every day, I'm thinking to myself, boy, this year does take a long time. But I'm glad it didn't take the 23 years that it took to do nothing. So we are think, things are getting done. But hopefully it's not just a sign of the church. Matter of fact, and thankful to our staff and many who work to do the work of the church and many in our building and grounds and those, because I believe our church buildings look as good and inside and outside as we have in a long, long time. Hopefully 
It is also a picture of our spiritual renewal and that we're continuing to grow and continue to be renewed in Christ because some same things that happened in the Old Testament as well. Notice 2 Kings chapter 12 in verse 17. We haven't read these verses yet, but in verse 17 it says this. It says, At the time Hazael, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. But when Hazael set his face to go up against Jerusalem. So, just to make, Syria was often the enemy of Israel at this time. Also called Aram, if you're from the Arameans, if you're in a different translation, it may say Aram. And said that they had gone and they had gone to fight against Gath. Gath was a city of the Philistines. You might remember Goliath was from Gath. And then they, now they have their sights set on Jerusalem. Verse 18 says, Jehoash, or Joash, same guy, different name, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his fathers, the kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred gifts and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord of the king's house. And he sent these to Hazael, king of Syria. Then Hazael went away from Jerusalem. Do you think the Lord was pleased that the king took all the treasures out of the temple and gave them to a foreign king so that they wouldn't fight against them? Probably not. And he gave even the own treasures that had come about in his kingdom and all the gold that was in the treasury. Where do you think that gold came from? I imagine they came from people who had continued to give to the project of the box of Joash that was there. King of Judah became a very unpopular king. It wasn't long before this, before they conspired against him and they executed him. The boy who would be king, the descendant of David, the one who had great potential to be the very best kings of God's people. He had great potential. Not everybody here knows this man, but many of you do. Hub Waldrop, uh, Coach Hub Waldrop, we call him. He was... Uh, involved with Auburn football training for almost half a decade. He passed away just a few uh, months ago, one of our uh, most faithful church members. But a great storyteller about Auburn football. Early on when I was preaching, I preached something, I was talking about the potential of Parkway Baptist Church some years ago. One of the first stories that Hump came and told me after the service, he came and said, uh, he said, Brother Jess, let me tell you what uh, uh, Coach I can't remember now whether it's Coach Jordan or Coach Dye, but he said, this is what he said about potential. He said, telling the team, he said, told, told, said, boys, he said, in the paper they're saying that we have lots of potential. But you know what that means. It means we're all losers. You know, I'm just trying to fire up the team. I've tried never to use the word potential when it comes to Parkway Baptist Church ever since that time. In the parable of the seeds in the soil, Jesus said some seed fell on rocky ground in Luke chapter 8 and verse 6. And later on, Jesus explained to his disciples the seed is the good news. And I know we're taking some of this out of order, but Jesus said that the seed that fell on the rocky ground are those who when they hear the good news, they receive it with joy. But in time of testing, they fall away because they have no root. For Joash, king of Judah, he fell away because he had no root. As long as the priest Jehoiada was instructing him, he seemed to do well. This is what he needed. This is what you and I need. Be sure that your faith is personal and genuine. That is, that you have your own salvation and your faith is not based on some, what somebody else believes only. 
for many of our students who come to Auburn University, many of them who went to church growing up and many of them who seek to do what's right and they may get away from home and then there comes the time of testing. Can I tell you that unless you have a personal and genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus, when it comes time of testing, you will fall away if your relationship with the Lord God is not personal, if it is not genuine. It is for all of us, regardless of our season of life, it is only a genuine faith that has the opportunity to remain steadfast in obedience and faithful to God. None of us will be perfect, nor will we be sinless this side of heaven. And this falling away is not a loss of salvation. This is a falling away of someone who knows the truth, but has never had a personal relationship with Jesus. Listen, don't doubt your salvation every time you fail or every time that you sin. For the Lord has made us overcomers and victorious because of His work on the cross, not because our work or lack thereof. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7 to the church of Ephesus, and He said it many times to other, some of the seven churches. He said, Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Well, the one who is victorious, sometimes called overcomers, is the one who has a personal and genuine relationship with Jesus. In Christ, you are victorious, even if you don't always feel victorious. Even if you fail time and again, if you're a child of God, you're still victorious. Now, if this is true, and the Bible tells us that it's true, what greater incentive that we have to want to grow in our faith and to continue to be obedient and even more obedient. Well, now our attention turns to one of the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, by the name of Jehoahaz. And there we learn about a faith that forgets. Faith that forgets. And uh, let's, let's read about him in 2 Kings chapter 13. We'll read verse 1 and following. Verse 1, it says, In the twenty Third year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah. Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, began to reign over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He did not depart from them. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them continually into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael. Then Jehoahaz, if you can hang in with all those names, you can understand this, sought the favor of the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. For he saw the oppression of Israel, how the king of Syria oppressed them. Verse 5 becomes an important part of this passage. Therefore the Lord gave Israel a savior, so that they escaped from the land of the Syrians, and the people of Israel lived in their homes as formerly. Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin but walked in them. And the Asherah also remained in Samaria. One more verse for us for now. For there was not left to Jehoahaz an army of more than 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, 10,000 footmen, for the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like dust at threshing. This is one of the lowest points in the history of the northern kingdom of Israel before the exile. The army was depleted. King was evil. He did seek the Lord for help, but no indication he was repentant or sought to follow the Lord after he sought for help. But even though he was evil, the Lord sent a Savior, little less, to help them escape from Syria. 
Who was the Savior that helped them with their enemies? Well, we're not told who that Savior was. Some think it was the prophet Elisha himself, who always seemed to outwit and anger the Syrian kings. Regardless, we cannot read the title Savior without recognizing we've been sent a Savior, even before we turn to Jesus. And our Savior is for everyone, even those who have yet to believe and those who do evil. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14 says, And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. How tragic it is for those who have been sent a Savior, and they know they've been sent a Savior, but they refuse to turn to Jesus because they're clinging on to the evils that are in this world Jesus said in the parable that we're using as an object lesson, other seed fell among thorns. Jesus later told his disciples, these are the ones who've been given the good news of the gospel. They hear, but they are choked out because of life's worries and riches. The cares, the riches, the pleasures of this life choke out the good news of the gospel. For those who are in Christ, we have one priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We seek his kingdom, not our own. While King Jehoahaz sought the Lord, he would not follow the Lord. He continues to do evil. So for your faith to continue to grow, be sure that your faith is in Jesus alone. Be sure that your faith is not in Jesus plus works. Be sure that your faith is not in Jesus plus yourself. Be sure that you're not trusting in the things that this world has to offer. Trust only in Christ. Jesus told us you cannot serve two masters. The king of Israel is left with few horsemen, just a handful of chariots and a few thousand men in the army. For all who refuse to place their faith in Christ, even if you could have all that this world has to offer, you will be left spiritually destitute by not trusting in Jesus alone. Again, Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? We learn from the other king of Israel, the other Joash, faith that fails, about a faith that fails. Again, in 2 Kings chapter 13, beginning with verse 10, it says, In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, began to reign over Israel and Samaria. He reigned 16 years. Verse 11 says, He also did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin, but he walked in them. Well, like father, like son, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Not much more said about him except how long he reigned and that he died and he did evil. There's one story about when he visited the prophet Elisha, you knew Elisha was coming in here somewhere. Elisha, who was on his deathbed, verse 14, 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 14, it says, Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Not one time does this Joash ever speak or seem to seek after the Lord, but he was very respectful of the prophet Elisha calling him my father my father he's calling Elisha the chariots and the horsemen of Israel well Elisha gives him an object lesson 
He says, uh, you got a bow and arrow, got bow and arrows with you? He said, yes, I want you to shoot one out the window, east window. Shoots it out the east window, and then Elisha proclaims, that arrow is the victory of the Lord. The Lord's going to give you victory over Syria. And then he says, take the rest of your bows, and what I want you to do is I want you to shoot all of them into the ground. Whether it was out the window or not, we're not sure. He shoots one, he shoots two, he shoots three. Then the Bible says he stops. Even though he had more arrows, Elisha told him to shoot all of his arrows, but he stopped. Listen to Elisha's response in verse 19. 2 Kings 13, 19 says, And the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times, then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. God wanted to give him complete victory. But he had no understanding of the things of God. Jesus said in the parable of the seed and the soil, some seed fell among the hard pathway in Luke chapter 8 and verse 5 where the birds come and devour the seeds. Jesus would later tell the disciples about those who had hard hearts. They hear, but they do not believe because they refuse to understand. And the devil comes and snatches them away. Jehoash, the king of Israel, there he had the prophet of God before him. Good news about the love of God, what the God wanted to do to him, but do for him. But he would not change, he would not repent, he would not turn, and he would not understand. Today you want to be sure. You want to be sure that your faith is heart and life altering. The faith that is personal and genuine, a faith that is in Jesus alone, that is a faith that changes the heart and changes your life. Have you had an encounter with the Lord Jesus whereby you claim Jesus as your Savior and Lord? If so, let me ask you today, has there been a change to your heart or to your life? Is your attitude different? Do you, has the Lord been changing your actions, if there has been no change, but you claim Jesus. Even though we're not saved by works, you probably need to get back to the basics. You need to recognize that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Son of God who came from heaven to earth, and he came and died on the cross for us in three days. He rose again. He's alive today. You need to believe that. You also need to know that you're a sinner who's in need of forgiveness and need to repent of those sins. You need to ask Jesus to forgive you of all of your sins. Turn your heart and life over to Him. Place your faith in Him on not only for today, but also for all of eternity and ask Christ to come in and save you and to be your Savior and Lord. And He will change your heart and your life, your attitude and your actions. As a result, you will learn to love people more. You'll learn to want to live for Jesus. Your attitude and your actions will be changed. It might not happen all at once, but every day you will grow in Christ as you seek to live out your eternal relationship with Him. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26 says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Even in Christ, in Christ, even those who have a heart of stone, even those who are on a hard pathway can be won. And here comes the bonus. From Elisha the prophet of God, and this becomes the most important have a faith, there is a faith that is fruitful. Of the four kinds of faith, there is a faith that is fruitful. Genuine faith will be fruitful. In a series such as this, where you can't read and preach every chapter and every story, it's just not feasible for what we're doing to be able to work our way through this 
series, there are some stories and passages that cannot be left out. And all as I came to these next two verses in 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 through 21, I thought, oh, we've got to talk about this at least for a moment. 1 Kings chapter 13 and verse 30 says this. Excuse me, verse 20. 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 20. Everybody with me? It's on the board in case I get confused. There it is. So Elisha died and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. Verse 21 says, As a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Elisha died and he's buried. Seems to be a band that's coming, an army that's coming. They've got to do something quick with another man who's died. So they throw his body there on top of Elisha. And as soon as that dead body touches Elisha's bones, that man's alive again. He stands on his feet. Well, I got to tell you, this is a story that is fraught with many theological incongruities. In other words, we're not sure what to make of this story. But how about this? Here was Elijah, Elisha, the prophet to bear much fruit and touch many people's lives for good while he was alive. And even God used him after he was dead. Now, that's not hard to understand, is it? Because you know people who've gone to be with the Lord who are in heaven, family members, church members, friends, perhaps, and they're still, through the memories, through the wisdom, through the things that they said, and the example that they were, they're still having an influence on your life as well. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That cloud of witnesses that we are surrounded by, they are not necessarily watching over us and witnessing the things that we're doing. That's not the emphasis of the writer of Hebrews. He's saying they're continuing to be a witness to you, those people of great faith, many of them mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, and they're continuing to be a witness for you as well because of the fruit that they bore, that they continue to, and it continues to grow. Don't, we want to bear that kind of fruit. Jesus said in the parable, some seed fell into good soil, and they hear and understand and accept, hold fast, and they bear fruit. It's interesting to me when this story is told by the book of Matthew. Matthew says that when it falls into the good soil, the people understood and they bore fruit. When Mark writes, he says that they understand and they accept and they bear fruit. When Luke writes that it falls into good soil, he says that they hold fast and they bear fruit. Now Jesus gave categories of some bearing fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold, and many have made much of perhaps each of this, these categories, but 30-fold meaning moderate fruit, 60-fold meaning much fruit, 100-fold meaning marvelous fruit. But as we continue to bear, as we continue to grow in Christ, we will bear even more fruit. But how about this? Be sure that your faith is multiplying as you're growing in Christ. Be sure your faith that is personal and genuine, it's in Jesus alone, and a faith that is hard and life-altering, will be multiplying as you grow and have great influence as well. 
Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the realities of your word. We thank you for the truth that we can read in the Old Testament that always points to Jesus. We thank you for what Christ has done for us so that we might be able to grow in Christ, so that we might be able to know the truth about a Savior and place our faith in you alone. We pray, Father, that all those who are here today because we've come to this place, that even now, Father, we might recognize that we have a genuine, real relationship with Jesus or we might place our faith in Jesus today, recognizing that this is not the end but just the beginning of continuing to grow in Christ to become more and more like Jesus multiply the fruit that you want to show in our lives whether it be fruits of the spirit whether it be bringing more people to you so that they can know Christ as well Father we pray that even now you might be at work help us to make the commitments that we need to make we pray that your word Father is continuing to be revealed as eternal truthful and the only word on which we can rely we pray, Father, if there's one here who doesn't know Christ, that today might be the day of their salvation. It's in Jesus' name we lift these prayers. Amen. Would you please stand? We're going to be singing our song of commitment today. and We encourage you to follow the Lord's direction in your life, whatever that may be. If you're looking to uh, be a part of Parkway Baptist Church here, we encourage you to follow the Lord's direction. One way we do that, you just come. Some of our ministers are down at the front. I'll be standing down here worshiping alongside you. Just say, I want, I want to join Parkway Baptist Church. We'll tell you next steps, what you need to do. If you need to come giving your heart and life to Jesus, or maybe you already have, but you've not made it public, you need to make it public today. We encourage you to do that very thing. Altar is open. You can come pray with one of us. As we sing together, you come.